It was 2014. The state of Florida and the FBI had just brought a civil complaint against the owner of a Miami business. The complaint was 49 pages long and detailed a list of misdeeds, but most of them revolved around one single offense. The owner was basically accused of stealing government money from Uncle Sam. Two years later, on May 2nd, 2016, that man ends up in jail, and he's sentenced to 97 months behind bars. He was quite the character, this man. And so was his business. I'm talking about Alejandro Amor, who ran a for-profit college chain in Florida called Fast Train. Now you have to remember this name, because to many in the higher education industry, this school symbolized everything that higher education isn't supposed to be. It was greedy, it was profit-driven, and just plain predatory. Sometimes we do see and hear about examples of raw, just absolutely unmediated greed of owners saying to their staff, I want my money. Sign up the students now. I Literally, I've heard of an owner who said, I want my money. But sometimes it's more sort of structurally, it pushes in the direction of greed. That's David Halprin, a lawyer who's worked on a ton of stuff on for-profit colleges. He's responding to a question I asked about our friend in Miami. Because as it turns out, Alejandro Amor had defrauded the government of $35 million in federal aid loans from 2007 to 2012. This is a story about a scam. But it's not your run-of-the-mill scam. This was part of a bigger, more commonly found type of fraud that has just pervaded education, and in particular, higher education. In this series, we're going to meet some of the people who are just dead set against these scams. Because they see it as pure greed chasing innocent victims' dollars. You have to tell your investors every quarter that you're making money or your stock price is going to fall, your compensation is going to fall. So you're just digging into how can I cut costs on education? How can I do more deceptive advertising? How can I push our recruiters to say whatever it takes to sign up students? So it is in various forms and in various ways. It's about greed and it looks like it is very difficult to reconcile the profit motive with the public good. We'll also meet some of the victims who actually lost their dollars, thousands of dollars. The program was horrible. There was nothing there. There really was nothing there. I don't know what my next step is going to be as far as having to pay the loans off. I'm really stressed about it. It's hurt my credit report. Can't get a loan for anything. We'll also meet some who say that it isn't quite a scam. It's more of an experiment which just happens to go bad sometimes. It just leaves behind significant collateral damage, which someone has to clean up. Who's going to do that? This is Illegal Tender Season 7. I'm Arti Swaminathan. Just listen to this. In 2011, the government spoke to an ex-employee who used to work at Fast Train in Tampa, Florida. This lady, who worked as the director of admissions, had just started a few months back. She recalled that a few days after she started, 
She was paid an unannounced visit from the regional admissions director, she was told at that point, to not collect high school diplomas and transcripts from incoming students, which is basically illegal. This didn't sit well with her. She said that she, quote, felt sick after the meeting. But it didn't end there. She started getting threats from the owner, who demanded that she ramp up enrollment numbers by any means possible. So a few weeks later, she was sent to work with admissions reps in the Miami and South Florida campuses. And this is where the story gets really spicy. So on this trip, she was accompanied by an admissions rep who had worked at another campus. This is what happened. The other rep, who was also female, told this lady that this was how you get these enrollments. You have to drive to, quote, the hood, where she basically stopped random men on street corners and bus stops and approached them to sign up to attend Fast Train. In one instance, this duo encountered a man who agreed to enter the car with these two women. He told this rep that he did not have a high school diploma. But she said it's fine and can still attend this college and that, quote, he would just have to keep it a secret between the two of them. Bear in mind, this lady doing all the talking was actually a former exotic dancer and dressed, quote, very provocatively as part of the, quote, recruiting effort for Fast Train. The other lady in the car, the one that we met, the missions director, she was already feeling sick about this. And at this point, she was just horrified. Not only were they with a random stranger in a car, these two had just agreed to commit fraud right in front of her. The man was then delivered to one of these campuses and then he was quickly admitted. Okay, so that sounded really bad, right? To be honest with you, when I first heard this story, of strippers turning into college recruiters, I just thought to myself, wow, how is this even possible? It just seemed to me like if this person had approached me to join this school, I would have just basically looked at her and thought, wow, that's a red flag. But what were they saying to these students? What sort of magical power did they hold? Why were these people signing up? That incident basically started my obsession with these schools and the crazy things that they did and perhaps are still doing. But just going back to the fostering story, it just doesn't end there. A month after talking to that female employee, the government went after another guy who also worked at Fast Train in Jacksonville as an admissions rep. And this guy has quite the story. So he starts working at Fast Train in May 2010, and he commutes every day from Orlando to Jacksonville, which is a 300-mile round trip. He eventually works his way up to become the regional campus director of Clearwater and Tampa. And at this point, Alejandro Amor gives this guy a call. Amor tells him that this guy has to raise his enrollment numbers, and for that, he needs to, quote, hire some hot mamas. Amor instructed him to go to an area strip club and, quote, hire the sluttiest girls he could find. 
So this guy responds, no, he was a Christian man and did not know how to hire those kinds of people. So a few days later, this second guy turns up with two or three women who he said were actually recruited from strip clubs in Miami. They were in fact admissions representatives. They all wore short skirts and stiletto heels. These women recruited a large number of men from the mall and from areas around Tampa that had high crime rates. This guy apparently told female admissions reps at all the campuses to wear shorter skirts and higher heels to help enrollment numbers. He also took these women to homeless shelters in the areas to help recruit ineligible students. And at this point, I'm sure you'll be happy to hear that the school closed down in 2012. Now, before we take any step further, I want to highlight how actions taken by owners like this guy Alejandro Amor to recruit students by any means necessary actually affects the students. Over the past few months, every time I cover a story about a for-profit college, I either get a bunch of emails from people who went to one, or I get thousands of comments on my stories saying, they should have known better. It was a scam. But to many of these people, it's not easy to identify a scam, especially one that looks quite non-threatening. For instance, listen to Matt. Matt's based in Texas, and he emailed me a few months back to tell me about his experience at the for-profit school he attended a decade ago. So I called him back. So I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. I was the first college grad in the family. My dad was an accountant. My mom, she was basically just working odd jobs. When I was in my early 20s, I was working at a warehouse, FedEx, working shipping and loading trucks. Very hot, very strenuous labor. I think I was only making maybe $8 an hour. I was working in Earth City, which is... The site that I was working at was right across the street from ITT Tech. Because you can't get the jobs of tomorrow until you get the skills of today. Start by calling ITT Technical Institute. We'll Never, I, I think I may have seen one of the commercials uh, advertising ITT Tech maybe once. I never really thought about it. I, I just wanted to get out of the funk that I was in. You know, I wanted to do something with my life, and I was led to believe that getting a degree was what I needed to do with my life in order to get anywhere as far as a career. So I just kind of went by one night to check it out. I spoke with the recruiter there that just happened to be at the door and he showed me around the campus, kind of went over all the numbers. I think he was more focused on, obviously he was more focused on trying to get me through the door, just showing me numbers like what I would make, you know, what the median salary is for somebody who has a degree at ITT Tech versus, you know, someone who doesn't have a degree. And he was showing me the job placement rate numbers, you know, all these graphs and everything like that. So then they had me take an entry level test, which I'm pretty sure was just a basic, you know, math test. I don't, I, I'm pretty sure everyone passed it if I had to guess. So then I, took the test. They were like, you know, everything looks good. You really wanted, you know, it's more focused on trying to 
reiterate that this is what I needed to do, that I didn't want to be stuck working at FedEx all my life, that I needed a degree to go anywhere. That desire to get out of that funk quickly turned into confusion and anxiety. As Matt saw some strange things going on within the school. I went ahead and signed up for the classes, decided to do the visual communications associate, which is, you know, basic like software, like Photoshop. They did a bunch of Adobe uh, programs. The first year that I started going there, I didn't think it was that bad. Although looking back at it, I should have recognized the red flags and the warning signs then, but I didn't. The first year was just basically watered down version of entry level classes. And then we had, I had a bunch of math classes. And even then the math was simple. It was, the tests were multiple choice, which didn't make any sense for a, a math class test because basically I could take the equations from the multiple choice and just plug it into the calculator. And that's how I would arrive to the right answer. I mean, it wasn't even like showing your work. They would let you take your notes in with the test, use your notes, easy stuff like that. I would say probably at the beginning of the second year was when I started noticing some of the instructors weren't on, they weren't professional. I had one specific math instructor that would constantly lose people's assignments. I remember one time I had an assignment that I turned in and he, he gave me my grade and it was an F. And I was like, well, why did I get an F? And he's like, well, you never turned in the assignment. I'm like, but I know I turned this assignment in. So he goes shifting around through his bag and pulls out just this wad of paper that was my assignment. So, you know, here I was getting an F for something that he couldn't even keep track of. Now this same math teacher at the very end of the semester as we're taking the final just up and quits in the middle of the final and he just starts going off I'm tired of working here I don't want to be a part of this anymore just quit and left in the middle of taking the finals I don't even know what happened with that what our grade was for that course because he left in the middle of the last day that was I thought that was kind of weird then I would say probably two weeks before I was supposed to get my associate's degree I'm sitting in class and a woman comes in looking for me. I've never seen this woman in our campus before. Don't remember her name, don't know who she was, but she pulls me into her office area, into this little meeting room, and was saying that I was in trouble of getting more funding. I mean, she was saying that if I couldn't get any more funding, I wasn't going to be able to get my associate's degree. I mean, this was literally two weeks before graduation. Panicked and concerned that if I didn't get any more funding, I wasn't going to be able to graduate. I didn't sign any papers then. Little did I know, and this was after, this was maybe a year or, or several months after I had left the school, that this was, that she was referring to getting me signed up for these high interest peaks private loans, which was like ICT tech, private loans, um, very high interest private loans. Peaks loans are the subject of several legal actions. A complaint brought forward by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau found that many students, like Matt, were rushed through the process, being pulled out of classes, being told that these loans were necessary by their own instructors. 
But most students didn't even realize that they took out these private loans. I'm curious, until that point, she pulled you out of class. How much had you borrowed or how much had you spent before this new type of loan was introduced to you? I would say at that point, it was probably, I mean, this was right before I got my associate's degree. So I would say at that point, it was anywhere from twenty dollars to $30,000 at that point that I that they had taken out in loans and Pell Grants. And um, then how, how much was this private loan that they were forcing on you, essentially? The peaks was $10,000 that they had taken out in my name. And that was at about a percent interest. And that was a ten thousand, roughly ten thousand dollars. I think is what Peaks was trying to look for whenever I had finished school. Actually, I didn't even finish. I mean, I was going for my bachelor's degree when I just gave up on it and left because after I got my associate's degree, I decided to stick with it. You know, at first I was going to try to transfer out because you know when she was approaching me about the Peaks stuff, I was. I, at that point, I was fed up with the school. I was fed up with the instructors there. I was fed up with the software being out of date. Some of the software wasn't even working or properly licensed. Like I was saying, when I was taking that C++ class, they didn't even have the software that we needed properly licensed. And it was, I want to say, three or four weeks into that course where we were just stuck, not being able to do any assignments. And they, the dean... The chair of our department would not respond to our instructor about getting a proper license software. I mean, we were stuck in that class. And it was to the point where our instructor started passing around a cracked version of this software on his little USB device so that we could actually do the assignments. I mean, that's how ridiculous it was getting there. So after the whole lady that I, I never did see this lady again, after, after she did this whole peak stuff, I never saw her again. And I spoke with my parents about this and she, and you know, I remember my dad saying, you need to go up there and get some more information about what this is so I can better determine what's going on. So I went up there, I want to say the next week after that event, I went up to this office that the career services office that she was, that I, she took me to, knocked on the door. Somebody came and answered and was like, and I asked, I mean, is this person here? He said, hold on, closed the door, went back in the back room of the office for like, I want to say five minutes as I was standing there and then came back out and was like, oh, she's on lunch right now. If you just leave me your name I'll ha- or number, I'll have her get in touch with you. Never spoke with this woman again, never saw her at the campus again. Several times that I went up there to ask, she was never there. I never saw her again. So I don't know who it was. I, I'm sure it was some salesperson they had there that was going around, I guess, recruiting people into this Peaks private loan. So, yeah, I tried transferring to a St. Charles Community College, which was right down the street. And, yeah, after they promised that I could transfer my credits anywhere, St. Charles Community College was like, yeah, we can't take any of these credits. It's not a nationally accredited or not a state accredited college. So you won't be able to transfer any of your credits to our school. So at that point, I was stuck. I I was depressed, stuck, stressed out about it. I should have left then, but I decided that I wanted to get the bachelor's degree because maybe then I could try to find a job 
So I stayed for another year to go for my bachelor's degree. For what it's worth, that shady private loan Matt took out was most likely forgiven as per a settlement in June 2019. But the thing is, Matt's story isn't unique. There are instances all over the country where you would just feel outraged and shocked at what goes on in these schools. Another borrower, Jennifer, for instance, had a recruiter press her emotionally using the tragedy of losing her daughter to a murder. They used that to get her to sign up at Everest University. Here's a clip of Jennifer talking about her experience. This interview is part of a documentary made about for-profit schools called Fail State. I called and said I'm interested in uh, attending your school. And she asked me what field, and I said I am looking to go into criminal justice. I was wanting to become a victim's advocate. I could talk to families and let them know they aren't all alone in this. I have been on that end of it. She felt so horrible for me. It almost sounded like she was crying for me. She asked me, how was she murdered? She asked me, who, who murdered her? When she was talking about it, I was actually glad somebody actually cared enough to be interested in wanting to know. She, in that hour and a half, became my friend. She kept informing me that this was the best decision I have ever made and I could really help out all these people. When I talked about, well, how much does it cost to go to college nowadays? She said, well, there are grants and loans and all sorts of stuff you can do, but let's not talk about that right now. I just need to hold your spot because the next session's starting soon. I'm not entirely sure. I actually just started investigating this today. And she said, no, 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 I'll send you the paperwork. It, this is strictly just to hold your spot. Because your story touched me so much, I want to make sure you had your spot. And I, I said, OK. I didn't read it. And I wish I had. But I didn't because I, I trusted her. That paper was not to hold my spot. That paper was to enroll me. At this point, the director of Fail State, Alex Shibanow, who interviewed Jennifer, had heard enough. So after years spending in, you know, in depression, you know, anyone would just be devastated by what had happened. And and then eventually she worked up the courage because she said, I want to become a victim's advocate in a police department because I can help others to just go through what they are going through. Because I've been, she, you know, quoting her, I've been through that. And so she called Everest and Everest talked, like, basically they asked her, you know, why do you want to enroll? And she meant, she basically said all this, like she, she wants to turn a wrong into a right to help other people. And immediately the recruiter, rather than going into like describing what the institution is and what it could do, immediately started asking questions. Well, how was she murdered? How did that make you feel? Like just, it, just really, really inappropriate questions. And in 
when we were interviewing Jennifer in her home, she said, it took me back to 2002 after the murder. It took me back to hearing the news for the first time. And she was crying on the phone and basically eventually got Everest to, she enrolled at Everest. And so this happened on a wide scale basis, just disgusting stuff. There were so many different students who were being preyed upon in different ways. And these schools, they, they viewed them as nothing more than, I think we talked about it earlier about how this whole thing dehumanizes people. But yeah, like we saw it, these schools viewed these students as nothing more than dollar signs with heartbeats. In the next episode of Illegal Tender, we'll pull back the curtain on how exactly these schools work. From the ads they run on cable TV, to the tactics they use to recruit students, and ultimately, how they make their millions. Spoiler alert, it's all smoke and mirrors. Legal Tender is made by Yahoo Finance at our studios and homes in New York City. This episode was written and hosted by me, Arti Swaminathan. Illegal Tender was created, edited, and produced by Alex Sugg. Special thanks to David Halperin, Matt Wood, Jen Wilson, and Alex Shibanau, as well as everyone else who I haven't mentioned, for sharing your knowledge. If you enjoyed this podcast, Head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review it for the show. Until next time, thank you for listening to Illegal Tender.